I started talking to people about stocks and I would hear friends that, you know, lived in New York and they'd be like, oh yeah, I heard this, like this hedge fund is buying this and you get like this inside kind of scoop type of thing. None of those ever worked out. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for our free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Neville Medora. Neville, are you ready to join the mission? I am. Nine o'clock at night over here. Thank you for doing this. I look forward to it. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, but well, let's let's see how this man can bring out the energy at the end of the day, which at nine o'clock, I'm pretty exhausted. So let me introduce you to the audience. Neville has been starting businesses and side projects since high school and has learned a bunch about what works and what doesn't work. He's an advisor to numerous software companies and teaches copywriting at his business. Copywriting course, Dot com. You can find him at Neville Medora across all socials and also just click on the links in the show notes so that you can go to all the exposure that he's got out there. Lots of stuff. Neville, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Starting off hot. I think the one thing that I could, a lot of people have told me this about myself, that I break things down clearly. And I think I'm a dumb guy and I have to break things down to very like individual building blocks to understand it. So if people are using large words like equanimity and da da da, all strung together, I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I have a vague understanding where you're going, but I don't know exactly what you mean. And therefore, I need to break down each of these things into very simple terms. And I think people like that. And I started publishing online a long time ago, and I would break things down like that. And that's what people liked. So I believe that's what I bring to the world that I'm dumb, needed to be simplified, and people appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it's um. It's remarkable how many people can benefit from that because they're all sitting there confused, but nobody's telling someone, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't, wait a minute, you got to break that down. I remember did, I used to, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, uh, quick story. Do you, do you know how like uh, you're in a you're in school, college, high school, whatever, and teachers talking about something droning on and no one's saying anything. They're like, you understand? And everyone's like, I guess I do. And then I would be the guy with no shame being like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then once I said that, everyone else would say it. Yeah. I'm like, well, no one else knew what was going on either. What the hell? No one said anything. And so I learned a long time ago that it's okay to just be like, yeah, I don't I don't get what you're saying or I don't buy it. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. convinced yet. Yeah, and the lesson we learn as we get older is there's no difference between that high school class and real life. Zero, same thing. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> exactly. And even worse, people who do know what they're doing can't do it for different reasons and pressures and all that. And like, it's hard for people to think Clearly, I was watching a, it's a series on Netflix about Lenox Hill and hospital in New York, and it's very good. But the last episode was about when COVID hit. And one of the doctors on there said, I've been training my whole life for this. You know, I know how to handle this. And I said, huh, then I guess, why was it that you threw out logic and reason right off the bat? Why did mm -hmm. you resort to fear and panic as opposed to reading the research that was going around already? being done on what was happening in Italy. 
on what was being seen about the effects of other treatments where there was no vaccine and people were coming up with early treatments and protocols. You, you weren't doing any of that. So even though they even think that they know, there's a lot of people that either don't know or they can't do. And so it's really an important thing to, to just- Or, or it worked in a different generation well, right? Going out and starting a business on your own was considered a very stupid thing when I was a kid. And the reason was, it was. It was an unproven path and a path to perhaps poverty, whereas becoming a lawyer or something like that was the proven path to making some money. But it had this, this limit, but that didn't matter in that generation. And then the next generation had more technology, more opportunities, more opportunities to talk to people around the world, just like we're doing now. This didn't exist a few years ago. And so things change. So yeah. even what worked for some people may not work now. It could, but it may not. Mm. And tell us about copywritingcourse.com. What does somebody get when they go to that? I'm, I love, I'm such an amateur at that. So part of what I wanted to talk to you about when I got you on here was telling us a little bit about what that's all about and maybe helping us understand how to improve our copywriting. Yeah, quick answer and longer answer. The quick answer is copywriting course, like a community, it's a course essentially, except you pay monthly and you get access to all our programs. So how to write good emails, how to write good newsletters, how to use all the AI stuff in copywriting, all that kind of stuff. And then also our writers will go punch up your copy yourself. So if you post an email, our writers will actually go punch it up. And every Thursday I get on calls with people and directly interact with their copy. The longer story is I was running an e-commerce business years ago, just out of high school and also in college. And that's kind of how it paid my way through college. And I was selling things through email occasionally because everyone said, you got to have a newsletter. I had 7,500 previous customers and I was sending them newsletters every week. And I spent a lot of time on these newsletters. I was writing, making images, writing the copy for them, getting it all set up. And no one bought anything. It's just 7,500 people who'd already paid me right? So I was just like, well, these numbers aren't good. Email marketing must be bad. Mm. And then one of my buddies told me about copywriting. And specifically, it was this guy named Gary Halbert, legendary, very controversial kind of copywriter guy back in the 70s and 80s. And he wrote these letters called the Boron Letters from jail. Now, he wrote these to his son while he was in jail for mail fraud for something he he wrote copy for. <laughs> but So take that for what you want. But he wrote these great letters that were then transcribed and, and because they were just so good. And so what I did was I printed these out because that's the way you have to read them, like in their original format. And you watch, what I noticed was how he would make people turn the page. Like he would trail off a sentence right as it was getting good. And then you'd be like, well, I have to turn the page. And he's like, and then he would say like, you see how I made you turn that page? And I started thinking, oh, that he just trailed off and then I wanted to know more. That's an interesting thing to notice. He talked about marketing. He talked about all these concepts like, let's say you yet to send a piece of mail to someone and it was, you have to get it opened. If they don't open a piece of mail, you die. You get killed for some reason. How would you send them the thing? Would you send them a piece of bulk mail with like the bulk mail stamp on it? Or would you send a hand stamped envelope that's slightly askew so it looks real with handwritten note? Or the number one way, what if you just sent them a UPS package? Everyone opens a package. That's 100% open rate. So he talked about things. I never even thought of it like that, right? right? So I started thinking of it as like, oh, email open rates, those types of things, how to get people to open an email, how to get people to look forward to an email. That's a big thing. You can always trick people into opening something. You can't trick people into reading it, being interested, and then buying. 
And so I started reading about that and that's where copywriting came from. So that same e-commerce company I was talking about, all of a sudden, when I wrote my first properly copywritten email, went from over overnight an SEO company, because I would get SEO traffic and then mm. people would buy from the blog to email marketing. That's how I made most of my money from sending out emails overnight. And it kept working. And I was like, well, there's something to this. A buddy of mine, Noah Kagan, was building a company called AppSumo at the time. I applied it to his company and that started working really well. And then I, you know was part of that company for a while too. And we were sending out emails to about a million people a day. Absolutely. So, it was amazing. So, yeah. So I have, a, I have a lot of experience sending out to large email lists. And then also I helped create the voice for a company called The Hustle, which at the time was also a million plus. Now it's like almost 3 million plus. And so I've been trying to make emails that go out or content that goes out and makes people want to read it. Mm -hmm. And that's, and copywriting is a big part of it. So back to, so like I said, there's a long answer. Copywriting course got started from AppSumo when I would send out the emails and people would say, you're sending me an email every day trying to sell me something. I know you're trying to sell me something, but I keep opening your emails. What the hell's going on? And I was like, well, this is a thing called copywriting. And I explained it a million times. And I thought, okay, well, it might be time to make this some sort of digitally amplified form of Neville, aka video in a course form. Mm -hmm. And that's where the copywriting course came out. That kind of blew up and, and turned into its own thing. And for someone, let's just take myself as an example. I have products and services. I have email lists and all that, but I know I could improve pretty significantly. I could improve probably if I just made offers, you know, because I have lists of people that know, like, and trust to some extent and just say, hey, I've got this. Hey, I've got that. And I'm just curious when you talked about how you, you change by starting to get better at copywriting and you started to generate income, was it just simply that you were making offers and you weren't previously or that you were really changing you know, the way that you were writing? Great question. You could probably start by doing an offer. The problem is the first time you do it, it'll do great. The second time you do it, it'll do a little less great, or maybe maybe a little bit better. The third time you do it, it's going to start to get a little bit annoying to people that, oh, this guy's only sending offers. It's just, it's just getting pitched left and right, right? And then sometimes people might not be interested in what you're selling at the moment. Maybe they don't have the money for it at the time. Maybe they don't have the type of business. You're selling e-commerce advice and they don't have an e-commerce company. It's just not a right fit. And so the point of copywriting was how do we get things opened all the time? And a lot of that form comes in the form of content marketing. So for example, you're putting out this podcast all the time. People are listening to you. And if every once in a while you made some sort of pitch that like, hey, I have some consulting or service or product, they would probably listen to you. They wouldn't get mad and be like, oh my God, Andrew's selling me something if you just mention it a little bit, right? So that's what copywriting is, how to keep people's attention for a long period of time, years and years, and then eventually and, and occasionally pitch. And that was the way that I would approach email marketing with 70% content, 30% sales. I found that that's the, the limit, that if you send people all the time, every single day, 70% really good content and throw in about 30% sales or less, then they never get mad at you. Mm. Now, if you do 100% sales every day, yes, they get mad at you. Yeah. And one last question about the copywriting course. And I'm thinking about myself as an example, but for others that are listening, there's a couple of things I'm kind of worried about, about joining any course these days. You know how on Udemy mm. they go... 45 hours of content. And I'm like, oh God. Good God. Yeah. Can you cut if I'll take the one with 4.5 hours? <laughs> but not the, even. Yeah. Not even. Exactly. I mean, can't can you learn a lot of this from like TikTok size videos? You know, I, I certainly do. I, I browse, yeah. I don't really browse it TikTok per se, but I browse Instagram a lot. And I learned a lot mm -hmm. from these videos and they're sub one minute each. Yeah. And I learned a ton of stuff. And I'm like, do I need a 45 minute video for this? Yeah. 
I mean, but maybe maybe to get to full mastery, you will need a lot of time. Mm. But to get the gist of something, do you really need more than 10 minutes even? And so that's what the copywriting is. It's mostly, sh- and I've, I've got shorter and shorter form videos over the right. years. In fact, when we first, when I first started selling courses way back in yesteryear, people wanted a lot. They were like 50 hours of material. And the reason was, you may remember this, YouTube didn't exist in its current form, right? YouTube was like a, basically like a free video host for your cat videos. That's kind of what it was. It was like, it was like just junk videos here and there, Simpsons clips, right? <laughs> that's what YouTube was. And now it has become this like, platform where you could pretty much learn anything. And so now in the world, there is all this free information. So whenever people come to us, there's like, distill it all down and just tell me what it is. So I pride myself on short videos. And now whenever we release like a new quote unquote course, it's almost actually just like one page with two or three short videos on it right. and some content. I try to get you to where you need to be in the shortest amount of time. Also, I think the other thing that differentiates us a little bit is that we actually have a community inside with writers and myself. So if you were to post an email saying, here's an email I'm going to post to my email list, how can I make this better? Our writers go up and punch it up. And that's what I do all day. And then, like I said, every Thursday, we also talk to people directly and do that. And that's really fun for me as well to just see the inside of all these different companies and what they're doing. When you say punch it up, you mean like tear it apart? Like give feedback on Not it? Not necessarily. Actually, if, if it's really good, I give very little feedback. Why right. change it if it's good? Yeah. There's there's no point. So usually if it's really good, I give very little feedback. If something's not good, a lot of times people will tell like a long, boring story and not yeah. realize it because it's mm-hmm. interesting to them. I will tell them. I'll be like, you know, that's honestly, fair. I'm getting paid to read this and that's why I'm doing it. But otherwise I would have stopped a long time ago. <laughs> so how can, how can we make people care about this topic right away from the beginning? And the cool thing about copywriting is once you learn these different types of features of writing copy and keeping people's attention, you can apply them to everything that you do, mm-hmm. right? So some people are like, oh, wait, I'm writing a lot of boring copy. I have to tell people early on in the copy why they should care about this, yep. why this is important to invest their time into reading this, watching this, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And once they know that, they go, oh, I can do that for everything I write ever in my life after this. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, I, that's why I think copywriting is one of the highest forms of leverage marketing that you could do in terms of like, it's the lowest effort to change because you're just changing the text on the page oftentimes, mm-hmm. but the highest reward, because it could take something that no one buys and make a hundred sales versus zero. And the other last thing that, you know, here, here you hear my objections <laughs> or my concerns, right? Like my first mm-hmm. one is, oh, am I going to be overwhelmed with material and all that? You've addressed that. The other one that I would say is, that, oh God, I'm already working overload. Now I, as the owner, founder, I got to now start writing all these emails. And, and then I'm just, I get scared that I'm not going to have the time. So yeah, I'm going to join with a lot of enthusiasm. How do you deal with that type of, you know? Well, it, actually, you, usually people are already doing it. When they come to us, they're generally already writing emails and they may think it's already it's it's really easy. And then they go, huh, these aren't these aren't working very well. Mm. Or they don't, there's all these questions that they don't know about. They're like, I don't know what day to send them on. And then you look that up on Google and you're like, well, there's like a million different answers. You know, what does the guy that sends millions of emails out do? Right. So you just you just get straight to the point. Also, a lot of people will come just for office hours. So it just depends. I've never been able to put it because everyone's like, well, what's the primary thing? It's kind of like this 33, 33, 33 split of some people will just watch courses and go, I learned what I needed and leave or just, you know, not use it as much. Some people only come to office hours and some people use our forum. So whichever way you decide to interact, it just depends on the person. But a lot of people will come for office hours and say, I wrote these emails. They're not doing well. I don't even know why, but well, what's the first step? And then I could come in and be like, oh, I see exactly why. Right and then advise them. And then that problem is fixed. And 
what does it cost? Just tell us more about it. Because I, I'm asking these month, questions because I'm yeah. damn interested, as you can see. Yeah, I know. I, know. I was like, are we pitching this? Yeah. yeah. I do 97 a month because that's just like the easiest for people to yeah. decide. And then a lot of people upgrade to a year. Mm. So that's like seven fifty a year, and occasionally with some sort of sale or something. But generally, ninety seven a month is the way that I found most people kind of just dip their toe in the water to yeah. see, like, you know, is this bullshit? Or I'll stick around for one month, get what I need, and leave. So, mm. and then you could always pause and start your subscription. So I actually I made it a community several years ago, rather than just like a simple course that you download once. And the problem with the downloading once course, I used to do that. The problem with that, I'm not sure if you've taken courses before, but you download the course once and now the content just gets like older or the, mm. the person's not around and you're like, is this updated? I don't know. Whereas if people pay me monthly or yearly, I am obligated to update the content and keep it fresh or keep it new stuff coming out all the time. Yeah. So it's a much better model for the creator and the consumer as well. Although sometimes the consumer doesn't like paying a monthly fee versus a, yeah. a one-time. That's no, great. And I'm going to, I'm going to definitely check it out and recommend to everybody that wants to get better at that because Thanks, ultimately communicating is key. I have a valuation masterclass that I teach as a cohort. So it's a community. And then they can, if they go into the professional meaning, they make it to the first six weeks and then they say, I really want to build a skill in this. Then they mm -hmm. join that community, which I call Valuation Masterclass Professional. But what I do is I once they've gone through a certain level of content, then I say the assignment that they have is to give feedback on the new student's work. Mm -hmm. And that way, it's not overwhelming for me and my staff. And they're valuing generally the same companies. So they've mm -hmm. already been through that one and they've made this mistake and now they're feeding it back. So my team oversees the peer review process in that particular group. And then I do the final review of the submissions and all the feedback. But that's one of the ways that I figured out how to scale it. We do the same thing. I, I tell people when they join the community, I'm like, try to hit 100 posts. And the reason is you're in a writing class right now. And mm -hmm. the best way to improve your writing is by writing. And honestly, the best way to improve is by looking at other people's stuff. Yeah. I feel like if I write a sales page, a lot of times I'll give advice and they'll go like, well, I saw your sales page and it doesn't do that. <laughs> the reason is I have blinders on. I, I've seen it a million times. Once I've seen a piece of copy too many times, I lose my ability to make it better sometimes. Whereas if you look at something fresh, you can go, oh, this doesn't make sense to me. This, is, this looks wrong. That kind of thing. So I actually encourage people to go comment on other people's stuff all the time as well. Mm -hmm. And it really helps them learn more. It almost seems like I'm trying to just put them to work, trying to Tom Sawyer them into painting the fence and getting out of it. But in reality, it really helps them become better writers by commenting on other people's stuff. Well, Neville, I don't normally go into this much detail on the people who come in and talk about their business, but I just, I'm fascinated with what you're doing and I know there's value in it. So I'm going to be checking it out and, you know, highly recommend. I'll have links in the show notes for others to check it out. And, now, and there's there's interesting stuff happening in the writing space, by the way, in terms of like chat GPT, Google yeah. Bard, all these different types of things. Oh. I've invested in a couple AI writing softwares years ago when GPT-3 first came out. And it was like suddenly clear that like, whoa, a machine can write pretty mm -hmm. well. Yep. And so I've been using, I use chat GPT and all these things every day. And so it's a very interesting time with people. A lot of writers are shaking in their boots about this. Yep. So. Yep. I was asked by someone, could you put in a job description and responsibilities for for this in one of our contracts? And I didn't have much time. So I went to chat GPT, managing director, job responsibilities and all that. And I just cleaned it up and then put it in the contract because it had to be done right away. And it's it's a contract that, you know, it's not as critical, but the point is lots of value there. So, all right. It makes, it makes supporting content very well. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I have a couple of different things. Worst investment, I think taking hot stock tips. <laughs> so I was I was fortunate that in college, I had a little extra cash because I had started a couple of businesses. So a lot of college students were totally broke. I was not totally broke. And I had a couple thousand extra bucks. You know, we're talking about 2001 timeframe. It's a lot of money, at least for me at the time. And I started day trading here and there. I feel like every male at least once in their life goes through a day trading phase of some sort, whether you're day trading some sort of like beanie babies, Bitcoin, whatever the hell it may be. So I was trading stocks at the time. And I thought, wow, I could pick a stock when it's low and then it goes high. So I was doing all the stupid stuff. I was like looking at all these like medical firms and like an FDA approval comes out, the stock jumps up and I'm like, man, if I bought it there, I could go higher. And so I tried all that kind of stuff. I would wake up when the bell, I wake up early in the morning. I'm not really a morning person, but I wake up in the morning, catch the bell ringing. And I started talking to people about stocks and I would hear friends that, you know, lived in New York and they'd be like, oh yeah, I heard this, like this hedge fund is buying this and that. you get like this inside kind of scoop type of thing. None of those ever worked out. <laughs> I mean, almost like categorically zero, which is a little crazy because I did a lot of those. And like I said, I was putting a little bit of money in each of these, mm. but still to me, it was a lot. And it's just like, none of those worked out well at all, like ever. Like I never remember getting a hot stock tip from anyone ever, no matter how smart. And it just did well. And I think there's a multiple two to things. One, that that person probably just bought the stock and hyping it up. It could be that. Also, it's like you know, knowing when to sell is important. But also, like as Mr. Market, as Warren Buffett said, is crazy and erratic and doesn't obey timelines, right? So there's a lot of macroeconomic things going on. Whereas if you buy like a good business, that makes a lot of sense. So I was doing all this day trading and I did my taxes. And after a year, capital gains, all that stuff, I think I made like 5% on my money. And that was like, with all that time, I wasn't even considering a time and stress. Because as you know, when you first start day trading, you think like, uh, I made money, I'm on top of the world, I'm going to be rich in five days, this is amazing. And then as soon as you start losing money, you start going, what am I doing? This is terrible, I'm going to lose it all, oh my God, it's stress, I should sell it. And so I went through the whole gamut of learning that. And I'm so thankful I did that when I was a very young man and not an older person. <laughs> mm. I've seen so many people screw up when they start working for Google or whatever, and they're making a lot of money. And they're like literally doing these like dumb trades. They're like, yeah, I heard this company is going to do really well during the pandemic. Like it's just going to go up. And I'm like, you're gambling. You're gambling here, right? Like I get it. Like you're, you're sort of going based off of good information, mm. but you are not going, you're not investing long-term. You are just doing short-term trades. You are gambling. Mm. And of course, those people never really make any money. To supplement that though, I started listening to everything I could about Warren Buffett. Okay, It was in geology class that I'd made a trade where I 12X'd my money, which was tremendous for me. And what happened was, do you remember Enron, the whole Enron scandal? So of course, Enron, blah, 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 big gas company went to zero overnight. And it was a big thing in the economy back when I was in college. And I grew up in Houston. So Enron was based in Houston. And there was another company called Dynagy, probably never heard of them. They do $2 billion a year of profit. And what they do is they transport gas from one place to another. And they somehow got one of their executives kind of like did some funky stuff with Enron. And I remember reading about this and the company, the stock chart was high, 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 and then just like zero. And their stock went to like 32 cents or something. It was very low compared to what it was. And so I remember thinking, what the hell happened there? So I did the Warren Buffett thing. I printed out all the reports, all the financials. And what they said was, what they said was, we got hit with a $2 billion fine. We fired the person. We took care of it. 
our operations are still in order. Hmm. So we make $600 million a quarter, $2.4 billion a year. Nothing changed about that, by the way, hmm. nothing changed. They only got a thing. But then I was reading the, the papers and looking at the news and everyone's like, Dynagy's going bankrupt. And I'm like, well, I'm reading the report that they wrote and is audited and they still make the same amount of money. They're just aggressively paying off their fine. So that's like, if I had that, let's say the number was different. I have $2,400 in credit card debt and every month, I was paying off, you know, five, six hundred dollars. Well, in a few months, I'm going to be debt free, right? Yep. So similarly, we did that, and every paper reported that this company was going to go bankrupt. I'm sitting here going crazy, like, am I insane? Like, am am I just this 19 year old that's crazy, or is this company making all this money and like within four quarters they're going to make a ton of money? So I started adding to my position, and sure enough, in a geology class, 12x in one day, and that was the most amount of money I'd ever made. And here's the thing. I didn't do anything. I just placed a trade a long time ago. And then when it went up, I was like, well, okay, cool. I'm going to take some money off the table. There's no stress in it. I, I didn't have to track it. I didn't have to do anything. And that's when I started realizing that these hot stock tips are just terrible. Like none of them panned out. And this one thing where I actually did my due diligence worked out really well. So that my hot stock tips is one of my worst trades. Yeah, I, I got a couple others, but... Uh, <laughs> So maybe I'll share what I took away from it. I I teach ethics in CFA for chartered financial analysts here, and I was president of the CFA Society in Thailand. So it's very important to talk about ethics. And people would ask the question, young people like, how do I'm getting all this information? How do I know what's inside information? You know, so that I don't trade on that. And I said, oh, that that's pretty simple. And they're like, simple. It seems kind of hard to know if it's inside information. I said, no. I said, if you hear it. It's not inside information. Huh. In other words, you're not in the in circle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you think that the guy that's telling you this is that, but no, 99% of the time, it's somebody passing on information, secondhand, thirdhand. And it's very rare that that information is not instantly reflected in the market. And so when you think you're getting tips, all you're getting is just people promoting their ideas and they're telling it in a couched voice, like, hey, I heard that the uh, da, 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 management's going to make a big move, you know, and it's just all the theatrics of that. And then it just is so exciting to think that you're getting something really, you know, unique and valuable. And 99.9% of the time, you're not, you're just getting some information that someone's hyping. And so therefore, now that doesn't mean you don't want to pay attention if you are talking to an insider of a company who is an uncle, cousin, or whatever, and they breach. Because one of the reasons why I can say that most of the time it's not insider trading is that that insider will need to breach their duty to the company and violate SEC guidelines for you. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not happening. So- yeah, it's also not like a long-term strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping random dudes tell you stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's not it's not a wise investment strategy for the longest time. Have people made money like this? I'm sure. But you also do it's like the person who goes to the, the casino all the time. It's like in the long run, they often lose. Yeah. Are there times when they come home with 25 grand in their pocket? Sure. But I just don't think I've never seen anyone get rich like that. And I've had enough time on earth to see that like enough. Yeah. You'd think that there'd be some people like, oh, I'm just rolling in it. Yeah. The closest thing I could see to that is like someone got lucky with Bitcoin or something like that. That's yeah. the that's the the closest thing. But those seem like very once in a generation rare type of things. And I basically categorized all the different mistakes that people have made that they've shared with me. And I've identified six common mistakes. 
And the number mm. one most common mistake is they failed to do their research. Mm. And so what you're teaching us all is when you did your research and you came up with a thesis that you felt comfortable with, you mm. stuck with your thesis and you made money from it. So I think it's a good lesson for all of us. Do your research. Don't think that people are, there's nobody out there handing $100 bills to you. It ain't happening. And so if you're going to invest, either become a person who's kind of dedicated to doing that research or buy a broad-based ETF or index fund that owns every stock and let someone else worry about that. That's and, what I used to tell people all the, because Warren Buffett gave the best advice ever. He's he in my will, like 99% of it's just going to my trust and some of it's going to his wife and hit the, the letter to his wife is like, buy a low cost ETF and just, just hold on. Yeah. That's it. Don't do anything it, else. It makes you wonder even if he should continue his firm. I know that he's convincing yeah. everybody that all the people in place are, you know, following his mentality, which is possible. But the reality is, is that he's an anomaly and, you know, all that. So let, let me just take this now down to our listener who is 19 years old. Parents mm -hmm. just gave him $5,000. He's mm -hmm. just opened his day trading account. He's sitting in his college dorm and he's so excited uh -oh. right now. And he hears this interview now, based on what you learned from your story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend that that person take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, I don't know if you have a print them out, but some of these uh, financial statements are so boring, you might have to print it out to read it. Start reading about the company. So mm -hmm. don't look at charts, right? So don't look at charts of like, oh, this is down, it might go up. You know, that, that's like, a, that's not a real way to analyze a company. Instead, start reading about the company and read their, their statements, what they're doing. And so when you start doing that, you start, they have to like put what they lost, what they made mm -hmm. money on. And you start looking at their financials and you start seeing like, wow, they have no cash in the bank. And that's dangerous. And they spend a lot of money and they barely make any money. And like, this doesn't, you don't have to be a real mathematician over here to figure out that like, you know, this company has two bad months and they're out, they're done, they're gone, they're toast. They have to big make layoffs or something. And so when you start seeing that, you start seeing companies like Apple or something and you're like, they have how much money in the bank? Like they could go, they could stop selling iPhones or anything and just live for a long time. You're like, yeah, that's a healthy incredible. company. That's, that's a really healthy company. So I always think that like a company so big, it can't possibly grow more. I remember putting money in Apple, even when it was like a, a trillion dollars and thinking like, it's like the biggest company, how could it go higher? But then you look at the moat that they have and you're like, there's no one can overtake them right now. Yeah. It's almost impossible. And then you read their statements of their supply chain and how strong it is and how like they basically buy up all the inventory in the entire world of certain pieces of equipment. And you're like, they're going to at least make money for five years. There's no way this could not work. Or you even look at a company like IBM or Microsoft where you think like, oh, they're old, they're dead. But then you're just like, well, they have contracts with the government for 20 years. Mm. So they're going to at least make this much money for 20 years. So they're not the cool Google in town, but at the same time, it's like, this is cash, cash machine. Yep. Yep. And so you start thinking of it different. So like, I know this company is going to make money. It is almost impossible for this company to not make money. Whereas some of the new hotter startups, you're just like, oh, I heard Peloton's going to take off during the pandemic. You know, that, that's the classic, you know, whatever's, whatever's going to be like delivery at home. It's just like, yeah, but when that time passes, then it goes down, it gets inflated, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like these companies are like going to make money year after year after year if you just read about them. So I'd say to that student, great, use that $5,000 to open a trading account. I highly suggest you make mistakes when you're young. So- mm. Blow it all if you want. I don't care because you'll make it back at some point. But I would say 
don't get caught up in buying something just because it's like cheap right now or, or or something like that. Rather, read some of those statements and you will learn way, 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 way more about how to analyze a company. Great advice. All right. What is a resource of yours or any others that you'd recommend for our listeners? I would say I have a bunch of socials. So if you type in Neville Medora, N-E-V-I-L-L-E-M-E-D-H-O-R-A, you probably find my name somewhere. It's not too many people made that. There's only one other guy in the world named that. And so you can find me on Instagram. I post all these short videos. I've been posting them for about six months, doing pretty well. You can also find me on YouTube if you type in Neville Medora. I teach copywriting stuff over there. That alone, I mean, you could probably learn a lot of the stuff I, I teach. And then I also tweet quite a bit, at NevMed on Twitter. Quite active on there. I meet a lot of my best friends on Twitter now, which is cool. interesting. I don't know if you ever had that experience, but I meet a lot of cool people over there. And that's where I keep up to date with a lot of the tech. And just uh, I tweet quite a bit of copywriting stuff there as well. And then if you really want, I'd say the number one way you join my newsletter. So I have a thing called the swipes email that yep. goes out and you'll learn little marketing tips and stuff like that. Everyone says it's the best thing I ever put out. That goes out every Friday. So hopratingcourse.com slash newsletter, and it'll sign you right up. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. Last cool. question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Oh, interesting. Oh, we weren't pre-pepped for this one. <laughs> I am I am now 40 and I decided that the end of my competitive working life was going to be 50. I decided that in college. And the reason was I thought if I was in a worldwide competitive market, like, I don't know, being the best travel YouTuber or something, that there's going to be some 18-year-old that's hungrier, faster, better, and more motivated than I would be at 50, where my priorities will change and shift to towards family and being mm -hmm. lazy. So I always thought that that would be my goal. So in the next 12 months, I would like to make sure that I am uh, set up for that goal very well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Neville, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst <laughs> investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Be well and prosper and don't make stupid mistakes, except sometimes you will and you'll just learn from them. <laughs> just do it when you're young. Well, <laughs> yeah, preferably. Yeah. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside. <laughs>